Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. And Eric's an interesting thing. Uh, I believe it was last week you compared me sort of indirectly to game show host Pat Sajak. Mm, and then I... before it, Pat Sajak had retired. <laughs> I don't know if this is coincidental or what or what it means, but... um. Alfie uh, did say to me that, uh, as we discussed it, as we do, if uh, you could go ahead and compare me to, quote, all the dogs in the world. <laughs> that would be very nice. So, yeah, I don't know what, what that was all about. What do you who should we who should we do next? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it seems our podcast opening banter has serious powers in this regard. Um, I mean, I thought it was a pretty innocent comparison between you and Pat Sajak, and, and then he immediately retires. So, uh, yeah, I'll, for Alfie's sake, I will uh, compare you to all the dogs. Um, but on top of that, um, you know, Kieran, you remind me of Elon Musk. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to pinpoint how exactly. It's just kind of a general vibe thing, I'd say. But you are definitely the Elon Musk of this podcast. Um, huh. Yeah. And, and you know who else you remind me of? Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Yeah, you know, if you and Clarence Thomas were standing right next to each other, I might not even be able to tell you apart. You're practically the same exact person. So uh, uh-huh. there you go. Uh, I said I said a few things. Let's sit back and see what happens. Uh, you have to you have to admit, Kieran, those are both very apt comparisons. Um, 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 I'm I'm gonna roll with them for yes. the purposes of this just yes. to see what happened i'm going to pretend i'm not offended by the direct comparisons but, but yeah oh, oh, it's um yep yeah, well we'll see you what can, happens you can take a little offense as you did when i compared you to pat sajak take take like a slight <laughs> bit of offense but just don't overdo it right right indeed exactly but um well we'll just see what happens by what Tuesday, Wednesday, we should I should be back on Twitter and there should be a vacancy on the Supreme Court. <laughs> One would hope. <laughs> we shall see. All right, and we've lost that part of the listenership. Actually, we probably haven't at this point. I think that I, half of the listenership lost, left us a long time ago. I, I would imagine so, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, things that are actually happening and coming up on the show. Uh, we are going to look ahead to next week's Showtime Championship Boxing Triple Header, uh, headlined by Carlos Adames against Julian Williams. We will listen to a couple of interviews I recorded at the International Boxing Hall of Fame, featuring trainer and former 130-pound titleist Robert Garcia and former top heavyweight contender and 1988 Olympic gold medalist Ray Mercer. We will look over the week's news, including the alleged retirement from boxing of Teofimo Lopez, who Eric did not compare me to last week. So this, <laughs> True. Uh, so clearly, that retirement is, is not legit. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, I will hit Eric with a new fight for the fight game. He'll hit me with a top five challenge. But first, the Queensland, Australia, where uh, Tim Zhu made short work of Carlos Acampo, Eric. Yeah, the, the vagaries of time zones may have meant that Saturday night's Showtime Boxing International card started even later than usual at 11.30 p.m. Eastern time. But Tim Zhu ensured that the night ended about as early as it possibly could under the circumstances, <laughs> dropping Carlos Acampo twice and stopping him in the very first round. With the loss, Acampo goes to 35-3 and with 21 knockouts, while Zhu remains unbeaten at 23-0, 17 of those 23 wins by knockout. Kieran, there isn't much of a fight to dissect, so let me ask you. First, how impressive a statement was that? And second, how smart does Zoo's strategy of taking risky fights instead of waiting for Jamel Charlo look now? 
So first of all, we've got to note that Ocampo's now been stopped in the first round in two of his three defeats. So right. although these things can happen, uh, we're going to be talking about Ericsson Lubin later in, in the podcast, for example, and he's fallen victim to a KO1. And that happens twice in contrasting fashions. Uh, suggests you might be vulnerable to an early stoppage. Um, that said, Ocampo did go the distance in a shellacking by Sebastian Fandora. And the thing that matters is, even if he is indeed vulnerable early, Zoo came out of his corner looking to test that theory. I mean, he stepped right. into his punches in the opening bell. He hurt Ocampo early, very early. And once he did, he he went in for the kill. Um, you know, as we often say here, we like fighters who bet on themselves. Um, even when, well, particularly when it's in the face of quote unquote advice from the likes of me. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I hemmed and hawed about the wisdom of his of Zoo's taking on Tony Harrison earlier this year. I know I picked Harrison to beat him. But Zoo's gone out there. He's taken on and beaten two solid opponents while Charlo, through no fault of his own, is on the sidelines while his hand heals. Um, the word momentum cropped up quite a bit in Saturday's broadcast. And yeah, I think it's an appropriate one because it really does feel now that that is what Zoo is developing. And, and the other word that sort of comes to mind that I might use is inevitability. Because, you know, sometimes when a boxer is on his or her way up and on the verge of a world title, he or she can really develop that feeling of inevitability. Like you feel like it's it's just a matter of time. They've just got to get that shot and it's going to happen. And for me, it's starting to feel that that's where Zoo is right now. Um, that's not to ignore or forget about Charlo, right. uh, who should not be forgotten or discarded and remains vastly more skilled and experienced than anyone Zoo's faced so far. It's entirely possible that when they do meet, we'll find that Charlo is simply a level above. But I'll say this, when they were scheduled to meet at the beginning of the year, I favoured Charlo fairly comfortably. I'm not remotely so sure anymore, not only because of Jamel's inactivity, but because Zoo is developing, seemingly improving, testing himself repeatedly, and, well, seemingly developing momentum and inevitability, Eric. Yeah, you know, my immediate reaction to this destruction was to wonder, did the odds on Charlo Zoo just fully mm. flip? Uh, so it's funny that, that you went there as well. You know, Charlo would have seemed, you know, not a lopsided favorite, but a clear favorite for their initial date. Um, I think we talked after Zoo Harrison about how it was getting closer. And now I wonder if we could possibly actually see the challenger Zoo favored. I'm not seeing any odds yet, but... With the way Zoo's been looking and with Charlo's layoff, I mean, I I still lean toward predicting that the books will favor Charlo, but it's going to be close. You know, maybe maybe he's a minus 150 favorite at most, I would think. It could be even closer than that. It's possible it's even flipped uh, to, to Zoo being favored. Even though this fight with Acampo ended much more quickly than either of us predicted, I still... I kind of didn't find anything about it shocking. Um, when, when I made my prediction last week, I said I thought Zoo could get Ocampo out of there within the first few rounds. I just thought he would choose not to, that he'd choose to get some rounds in. I was certainly wrong about that. Um, but from that very first left-right combination that Zoo landed just seconds into the fight, you had to sense this could be a quickie. Um, for what it's worth, your boy won himself a pizza, betting the under. Um, they, they, they put the prop way too high. I kind of thought the line would be like over under six and a half rounds, something like that. They set it at eight and a half and I was pretty confident this wasn't going to go that long. Uh, no, no knock on a compo, but 
I just figured he was too easy to hit to survive all that long against an accurate puncher like Zoo, who, final comment here on this, boy, he just keeps climbing up the best offspring of a great fighter rankings. He's getting very (laughs) close already to the top of that list. Yeah. All right, we squeezed as much discussion out of those 77 seconds of action as we could. Um, the co-main gave us a full 36 minutes of boxing to talk about. Uh, you and I both picked Raisa Aleem to win this 122-pound bout against Sam Goodman. You didn't have any trouble picking Aleem. I saw it as an almost even contest, struggling a bit to make my pick. My prediction ended up being closer, but we were both wrong about the outcome as Goodman was the stronger man the second half of the fight and pulled out a mild upset split decision by scores of 112-116, 117-111, and 116-112. Kieran, how did you score it, and how was Goodman able to outperform your expectations, if indeed he did? So on one level, like boxing isn't the most complicated of sports. An awful lot of it is about real estate and who controls the real estate in the ring and in the first half of the fight i thought goodman was standing off a lean too much it was just at the wrong distance for him his shorter more conventional punches weren't able to find their mark but Aleem's, you know sort of more sweeping more unorthodox blows were landing perfectly and it was when goodman started stepping into his punches around the halfway mark he stepped just a bit inside Aleem's punches when he was throwing which allowed him to score with his own blows and then when he slid out, he moved back into his right, and that took away Aleem's left hook and caused Aleem to just keep falling short with that sweeping right hand of his. It's amazing how often Aleem just missed by a mile with that right hand down, down this back half of the fight. Um, on one level, it didn't look like Goodman was doing a lot, but it was just those subtle changes helped put him in a much, much stronger position. And Aleem down the stretch, I thought his punches started to look loose and his form began to break down a little as... Goodman sort of applied the pressure and and really controlled where the fight was being fought. I scored the fight a draw, personally. (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) Spoiler, spoiler, I did too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do sort of understand why the scores were how they were, though. I mean, even when Goodman was applying pressure, a lot of Aleem's punches remained crisper and cleaner. I, I find it slightly easier to see a slightly wider score for Aleem than for Goodman, but... Yeah, I also can easily pick a couple of rounds that I gave Aleem that you could give Goodman, and then you've got 16-12 for him. So, right. um, bit of a disappointing outing in the end for Aleem. I thought he, he he started well, he looked excellent, but once Goodman adapted, I was very disappointed that Aleem didn't seem to really adapt back. Uh, but, you know, Goodman, full credit to him for doing what he needed to do there and, and sort of putting himself out of his comfort zone and how he fought um, to put himself in a very good situation now and what's a very talented weight class. Yeah, so it's interesting that even though we arrived at the same score, I came away with the slightly opposite feeling of like if someone deserved it, uh, that my my gut kind of leaned more toward Goodman that I could have seen a a wider card for him than for Aleem. Um, You know, I I gave Aleem five of the first six and Goodman five of the final six. Of course he did. (laughs) <laughs> you had the same okay <laughs> um but you know it, it was easy enough to flip one or two early rounds that i gave a leam in the other direction i felt and i felt it was not quite as easy to flip my goodman rounds so to me the 116 112 Aleem was the most surprising scorecard i f- saw found it kind of hard to get there i didn't think 117 111 goodman was quite right either um but i, I do feel like the right guy won certainly wasn't a hometown decision um and Boy, was I impressed with Goodman because of those adjustments you talked about. He made an exceptional adjustment. And 
really fought his ass off after his corner told him he needed to sweep the final five rounds to win the fight. Um, Alim is an excellent fighter, and Goodman straight up outfought him. Um, and interestingly, I was giving Alim early rounds in part because of his far superior body work, and you figure that's going to pay dividends later. Yeah. It very much did not. You know, he landed a lot of good body punches, and apparently they had no effect on Sam Goodman, who was much stronger in the late rounds than Aleem was. But anyway, to, to go from seven rounds of boxing carefully behind the jab to suddenly shifting gears and closing distance and throwing power punches and making a fight of it and then winning almost all those rounds, that isn't easily done. So so good for him. He just became a serious contender overnight, basically. Um, But again, we both uh, got the prediction wrong officially, uh, even though I was closer in spirit. Uh, Zero points for both of us on that one. And what do you know? I was closer on Zuocampo, and I have nothing to show for it. Uh, We get two points apiece there. So I lead 46-45 as we near the halfway mark in the 2023 competition. Uh, Next Saturday, Showtime Championship Boxing returns to the hottest venue in professional pugilism, the Armory in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, It's... Also, the highest venue in professional pugilism, based on Keith Idex uh, on the scene report. Uh, so, highest and hottest. Uh, anyway, we have uh, an SCB triple header headlined by middleweight action between Carlos Adamas and Julian J. Rock Williams. Adamas is 22 and 1 with 17 knockouts and is 4 and 0 with three knockouts since suffering his lone professional defeat by decision to Patrick Teixeira in November 2019 and most recently stopped Juan Montiel in three rounds. Williams, once again trained by our buddy Stephen Breadman Edwards, is at a different point in his career. He is 28-3-1 with 16 stoppages and a November 2022 eight-round points win over Rolando Mancia stopped a run of two consecutive losses by knockout to Jason Rosario and by split decision to Vladimir Hernandez. Kieran, what can you tell me about where these two are in their careers and the keys to look for in this fight? And what is your pick? Boy, it's difficult to plump for J-Rock here. Uh, look, he looked really good in outpointing Jarrett Hurd in 2019 in that excellent contest, but given Hurd's precipitous decline since, maybe that needs to be placed in some kind of yep. context. Um, you know, poor in his next outing against Rosario. He temporarily split from Red Breadman, who indicated to us on the podcast that J-Rock had some application issues. Um, then, he, even when he got back together with Breadman, he lost to Hernandez. Boy, it's hard for me to see him turn things around against a strong skilled middleweight like Adamas, who who himself appears to have turned his career around following that loss to Teixeira. And and even more so since, you know, being matched up with boxing's ultimate hard luck loser, Sergei Derevianchenko. Um, he says that that Derevianchenko fight was the first one to really cause him to knuckle down and approach a training camp with total discipline and focus and surround himself with a really good team, Adamas. And he says that that's where he's at now. And you know, the those last couple of fights of his suggest that that might be the case. Uh, I just, in all honesty, I, I don't have a tremendous amount to offer on this one, other than that, unless Breadman, who very confidently predicts that J-Rock will win by KO, and unless Bread's got something up his sleeve here, I, I just don't know what J-Rock can do to upset Adamas. This feels feels too much too late for Williams, mm. um, who I expect to start reasonably well, but I think he's going to start getting progressively beaten up and discouraged. And I I see Bread stepping in and saving him somewhere around round eight, honestly. 
Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of similar feelings. These are two fighters who sure appear to be heading in opposite directions, not without the potential of one of them slamming his career into reverse, of course, but it would seem at this moment, based on recent form, that Adamus is peaking at 29 and J-Rock is past his peak at 33. One thing about Williams, he has been known to win fights he was supposed to lose and to lose fights he was supposed to win, um, so he's not predictable in that way. Uh, and Breadman did say also that he, he thinks J-Rock does his best work when he's an underdog. Um, speaking of Breadman, it's Breadman versus Bob Santos. Uh, I know. I, I hate to have to pick against either of these guys. Um, so so I will stall before making my pick. Um, you know, no matter how many times we talk about Adamus, I will never not re-mention that he has 35 siblings, all from the same dad, the playinist player who ever lived. Uh, no judgment. Good or bad, I'm not applauding him. I'm not criticizing him. I'm just shouting him out. This guy, a standout in his field. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm done stalling. Um, Adamus, bigger, younger, stronger, surging in confidence, switches stances effectively, has a lot to offer. And Williams, not the greatest chin, can be hurt. It adds up to kind of a straightforward fight to pick. Not that an upset isn't possible. Um, you know, uh, Adamus can get sloppy. He can take rounds off. I could certainly see J-Rock either catching him with something or maybe outworking him and piling up points, but I think it's clear what the most likely scenario is, and it's exactly the one you outlined. A victory for Adamas, overcoming some challenges and some tough spots maybe, but ultimately hurting and stopping J-Rock. I hate picking against Breadman. I hate picking against a Philly fighter, but I just haven't loved what I've seen from Williams the last few years. And like you, I'm thinking Bread will throw in the towel if he sees J-Rock taking too much punishment. So uh, I'm going one round earlier than you, Adama's TKO 7. Okay. Uh, the co-main sees former 154-pound titleist and former podcast guest Erickson Lubin look to get back in the win column following his stoppage loss to Sebastian Fandora last April. As he puts his record of 24-2 and with 17 stoppages on the line against tricky Southpaw Luis Arias, who started his pro career 18-0, but has since gone 2-3-1 and one with some head-scratching losses, but at least one notable win. He lost to Daniel Jacobs, no shame there, but also to Luke Keeler and Vaughn Alexander. He drew with Gabe Rosado, dominated Jarrett Hurd, and then most recently beat the notorious 18-7-2 Jimmy Williams. Um, Eric, it seems like both men have something to prove here. Is this almost a loser-leaves-town matchup, and what is your pick? It is a loser leaves their current tier matchup. Um, so so I guess that's a yes. You asked if it's almost a loser leaves town matchup. Yes, I would say it, it almost is. Um, you know, they're, they're not coming into this in the same position. Lubin is certainly a level higher in terms of where he stands now and his perceived potential. Um, he's actually ranked in the top five of the TBRB 154 pound rankings, which seems surprising at first glance. Um, you could argue that he's a spot or two too high, but it isn't a very deep division in terms of active and proven fighters. It drops off quickly after those really strong first few names. But point being, Lubin is a contender who may still have championship potential. Arius is somewhere on the fuzzy line between contender and gatekeeper. A loss for either should knock them down a significant peg, unless it's a competitive loss for Arias. Then I would say the status quo is maintained. But certainly, Lubin cannot afford a loss here. That would spell the end of him as a serious contender. Um, a few factoids and notes before I get into my pick. Arias has been a sparring partner of main eventer Carlos Adamas the last several weeks building to this. 
Arias and Lubin also have history sparring each other. Uh, that was back in 2020. And Arias is complimentary of Lubin's skills, but not so complimentary of his chin, saying he's been hurt in sparring, while Lubin referred to it as, quote, easy work. Uh, Lubin is a southpaw. Arias has not fought against a southpaw in seven years. The contract weight for this 10-rounder is 156 pounds, which makes sense. Arias usually fights as a small middleweight. He's competed as low as 155 and a quarter, but never 154. And rust could be an issue here. Arias has been off just over 12 months, Lubin 14 months. Um, so the pick. I think this fight lays out with a pretty obvious if-then. Basically, if Lubin can avoid getting clipped, then he wins, probably by wide decision. He's much slicker than Arias, should be able to outbox him, especially if Arias isn't bringing the pressure, something Arias sometimes does, sometimes doesn't do. Uh, Arias has been dropped, but never stopped. If I'm Kevin Cunningham, who trains Lubin, I'm telling my guy not to go nuts looking for the knockout, not to open himself up. Luis Arias is someone you should beat if you just box, box, box. I think Arias's win over Jared Hurd says more about Hurd than it does Arias. To me, this fight should be all Eric's and Lubin. One punch can ruin my prediction, but my prediction is Lubin by lopsided unanimous decision. Yeah, I've made the same note here that Arias is another one who almost certainly isn't as good as Jarrett Heard made him look. Uh, He has skills. He's always had skills. I remember when my buddy Ishe Smith was working out at the Mayweather gym alongside him, and he'd rave about him, Um, and he wasn't alone. But some boxers are very good gym fighters and not always as good when the bell rings. Um, Obviously, that's a criticism that's sometimes made of Ishe, actually. And maybe that's the case with Arias. Um, I was shocked at how focused and in the zone and applied he was against Heard. But again, Jarrett has declined so very much. Um, but he does have a slick, tricky style. And if he is on point, he can be a tough out for anybody, um, including Lubin. Uh, and you could also argue that maybe Lubin has fallen a bit short of the standards one might expect from him um, based on his skills and talent. But Lubin's only two reverses have been first round knockout which as we were talking about earlier can happen particularly against somebody like jamel charlo yeah and then that thrilling fight against uh, sebastian fundora and um, maybe he'll look at that latter fight and particularly the way that brian mendoza was able to withstand the punishment fundora was meeting out and come back and knock him out um maybe he'll feel like he should have done the same or done better but it happens um i just don't think uh, in the same place as you that lubin's recent reverses or reverse is on the same level as what we've been seeing from Arias here. Cox may be starting to take a little bit on Lubin, but he's, you know, he's been at this game a while and he probably needs to step it up and step it up fast. If he's ever going to secure a a title shot or or another title shot, my sense is he's always likely to fall just short at the very, very highest level, but I don't think he'll do so here. It will be difficult. It'll be awkward at times um, just simply because Arias is an awkward guy. But I think Lubin's going to just box smart, going to stay in his own, just going to do what he has to do, and he will prevail, as you said also, by unanimous decision. Okay. The opener is in the Super Bantamweight division and sees undefeated Filipino Jade Bornea, uh, who's 18-0, and 12 knockouts, challenge belt holder Fernando Martinez of Argentina, who is 15-0 with eight knockouts, and coming off back-to-back wins over Bornea's countryman, Jerwin Ancajas. Kieran, your quick rundown of this matchup and your pick, please. It was funny. Watching um video of Bornea, I had the thought 
a, a little bit that in the same way that you can see how Roy and Floyd have influenced the style of so many, especially African-American boxers, there's a clear Manny Pacquiao influence on so many young mm -hmm. Filipinos, including Nia, right? And there's this way that he bounces on his toes outside the range of his opponent, sort of looking for an opening to leap in. That, that really reminds me a little bit of, of, of early Pacquiao. Uh, he has an advantage over early Pacquiao in that he hits with both right and left, and indeed will switch, actually, between orthodox and southpaw. He looks like he can hit hard with both hands, but gosh, I don't like his defense. Oh my gosh. It looks to me like he can be hit far too easily, especially by straight right hands. You know, Martinez, in contrast from what I've seen of him, he just looks more compact, tighter defense, crisper, shorter punches. He looks nastier too in the way he commits to his punches, especially in close. I think this is going to be a difficult, rough, tough fight for both men. I think they're both going to get lumped up and bruised and hurt, but I think Martinez's technical skills and better defense will carry the day here, although perhaps only just. I, I'm going to plump for Martinez by decision. I've gone back and forth on the nature of the decision. I'll oh, just to be a wee bit different, I'm going to pick him by split decision, Martinez, to win this fight. Okay. This is one that I was looking at it and thinking, knowing I was picking second, whether this was just a case where I should wait and hear what you say and just pick the other guy just to be fun and different because it is <laughs> that hard of a pick. Um, as it turns out, I don't, I was leaning toward picking Bornea anyway. So I will just stick with that. We will be, we will be different. Um, and, and it's not a manufactured different. That's the way I was leaning. But, you know, the fact that Bornea holds an amateur win over Mirajan Akhbadaliev, uh, that certainly makes you think and makes you take him yeah. seriously. I know it's only the amateurs, but tells you he's solid. Martinez also was a good amateur. He fought in the 2016 Olympics. I really love this fight. Um, each of the other two fights on this card, as everyone could tell from the way we broke them down and made our predictions, you know, neither of them are mismatches, but I, I we see clear favorites in each of those. This one, I really do not see a clear favorite. This is a toss-up, and it could very easily steal the show. There may be an instinct to pick Martinez because we've seen him win and win impressively on Showtime. But, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and go the other way. Uh, Martinez, he is quicker and slicker. He's very compact. He fights small. He gets in there and lets his hands go. I'm kind of leaning toward the longer, stronger, harder-hitting guy, Bornea. Uh, he switches stances. He can box. He can bang. He's a devastating body puncher. I'm going to say a little like the Goodman-Aleem fight we just watched. It's mm -hmm. Martinez building a lead early, but Bornea coming on late, hurting Martinez, maybe dropping him, and pulling away for a close, unanimous decision win. All right. Um, one other fight from this weekend to recap before we look ahead on Saturday night in New Orleans, Louisiana. Regis Prograce successfully defended his 140-pound title via split decision over challenger Danilito Zaria. Zaria started strong and appeared to score a knockdown early, although referee Ray Corona called it a slip. But after Prograce dropped Zaria in the third, the challenger really began to stink out of the joint with his movement. Um, it was a hard fight to score, I think, as reflected in the scores of 114-113 Zaria, but in contrast, 117-110 and 118-109 Prograce. And despite saying that I think it was a hard fight to score, those two scores for Prograce seemed far too wide to me. Um, Eric, after Teofimo Lopez's impressive defenestration of Josh Taylor last week, did Prograce miss a chance to look impressive himself here and make a case that he could be the top man in the division? Or was this just one of those nights in which the 
closeness and the ugliness of this contest really were all down to Zaria's awkward and very defensive style. Well, you know, there there is a case to be made that Progre didn't miss a chance to look impressive as much as he succeeded in making himself look like someone the other top 140 pounders may want to fight. There's always right. that way of looking at things. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, is, it I think it's hard to deny that Progre underperformed here, that he didn't fight to his best capabilities. And it wasn't purely a matter of a bad style matchup. It could be the, the fighting in his hometown thing that often creates distractions and leads to a boxer being a little flat, not as focused as he should be. Could be the case here. Certainly, he looked very little like the guy who absolutely kicked Chon Zapata's ass. Um, and yeah, styles are, are, are part of that. Progre is a natural counterpuncher. Zaria was almost exclusively moving backward, thus not much opportunity to counter, whereas Zapata was made to order for a slick, gifted counterpuncher like Progre. Now, I wonder if this fight plays out any differently if that first round knockdown gets correctly called a knockdown. Uh, I thought it was actually pretty clear, even in real time, that it was one. Maybe Zaria is less defensive, thinking, ooh, I can hurt this guy. I can knock this guy out. Maybe So maybe he takes a different approach. Maybe Progre is more aggressive because he's been knocked down. Um, in general, Progre struck me as too relaxed all fight. Mm. And maybe that wouldn't have been the case if he'd suffered an official knockdown. Hard to say, but certainly it being ruled a slip didn't help. Uh, this turned into a pretty lousy fight as the rounds wore on. One that put me to sleep Saturday night. I realize low bar, uh, but uh, but but I watched the first few rounds Saturday night, and then I was out cold, and I finished watching it Sunday morning. And uh, yeah, two of those judges handed in cards that you could either call it hometown scoring, or you could call it. I effing hate Zaria's style scoring. <laughs> it may have been that. If, 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 if you just refuse to give rounds to the guy who's moving backward, I guess you can get to a scorecard that wide. But I certainly thought it was closer, maybe 115-112. Thankfully, not so close that the slip call in the first round made a difference. Uh, Progray, the rightful winner here, but not impressive. Um, a fight we will all hopefully quickly forget ever happened. Indeed. What fight? <laughs> there we go. Uh, let's uh, continue this little game of pre-fight, post-fight whiplash and uh, look ahead once again to next weekend uh, when Adamus Williams is the card most worthy of detailed previewing. But it isn't the only notable card out there. At the theater at Madison Square Garden, undefeated super middleweight Edgar Berlanga hopes to put himself in position for a shot at Canelo Alvarez as he takes on Jason Quigley. In the Ota City General Gymnasium in Japan, Kazuto Aoka and Joshua Franco go at it again for a 115-pound belt after their last meeting ended in a majority draw. And more than three years after his last outing, Tevin Farmer returns to the ring to take on Avery Sparrow in a lightweight bout at 2300 Arena in Philadelphia, an arena better known to some by its former name, ECW Arena. Uh, Kieran, any thoughts on any of these? Um, yeah, Franco Ioke is the pick of the bunch. Uh, Franco must be sick of fighting people to draws. Um, <laughs> twice against Oscar Negrete, either side of a split decision win. Plus, he had a no decision against Andrew Maloney in between two wins. Then came the draw against Ioka. Um It's already proven a strong matchup between two very, very good boxes, and I certainly expect it to be again, and wouldn't be at all surprised if it's again extremely close. Um, Jason Quigley much as it pains me to say, as I like knew the guy and hung out with him a bit as he was coming up, is probably just the person to put Berlanga back on the knockout trail after mm -hmm. four straight decision wins. Um, despite the fact that he was 
dropped and stopped inside two rounds by Demetrius Andrade. I don't expect it to be a swift stoppage, but eh, this could be a bit of a beating, I think, before the end comes. Quigley's in real danger of slipping very swiftly into gatekeeper status here, and he really needs to pull off an upset to get himself back onto an upwardly mobile uh, uh, path. Um, as for Farmer Sparrow... I doubt Farmer's going to be counting his chickens until the bell rings after how many attempts to make that fight happen with Mickey Bay, which certainly didn't help with uh, his activity level. So, um, yeah, at least he's not planning on facing Mickey Bay. So maybe this fight will actually happen. But Tevin Farmer needs something to happen soon because here's a guy who was well regarded and lost to Jojo Diaz and vanished. So was it entirely unintentional that you went with the counting his chickens for a guy named Farmer against a guy named Sparrow? Unintentionally brilliant and wasted (laughs) because I just missed missed the win. Yeah, there you go. Even by accident, sometimes one makes a fantastic dad joke. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that could have been had I really focused on it, something about not only could he get a win, but at least actually get in the ring and kill two birds with one stone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Save save some for our post-fight discussion, I guess. All right. Okay. All right. right. Uh, Let's take a look at the news. And we're in a slightly unusual position this week in that our main event is a news item that neither Kieran nor I believe to be true. Uh, Teofimo Lopez, fresh off his convincing win over Josh Taylor, has declared that he is retired from boxing and has apparently texted the alphabet body whose belt he won to advise them of his desire to vacate that title. Kieran... As I said, we don't believe for a second that he is truly retired. But do you believe that he believes he's truly retired? And how long do you think it'll be before he accepts that he isn't and he announces his next fight? I'm not sure if he believes it or not. Uh, He might partly believe it. Because he's also said something to the effect of it will take a nine-figure deal directly with a network to bring me back. And if you're saying that, (laughs) and even if part of your brain believes you mean what you say, you're not really thinking about retiring at all um you won't have have seen this or be aware of this but there was a a a clip that went viral in england recently it was an interview with gary neville who was formerly an excellent defender for manchester united and is now one of the country's most significant soccer analysts um and he's well known for you know his extreme sort of seriousness and dedication to the craft and in this clip he was talking with a straight face about um taking mini retirements was his phrase Hmm. Um, during his career and so he said for example this weekend i'm going on a mini retirement to spain and there was some mockery of him because he'd apparently never heard of the term vacation (laughs) Um, and i think it's pretty clear that Tio is in need of a mini retirement um it's been a physically and emotionally very taxing time um the loss to cambosis the realization that he was so uh, unwell going into that fight he shouldn't have even been in the ring and could have died the doubts about him the comeback the, the divorce which is clearly weighing very heavily on him mm-hmm. uh, emotionally and, and financially all the just general chaos that comes with being teofimo lopez senior's son um mm-hmm. so i certainly can't begrudge him perhaps a reasonably lengthy mini retirement um it feels as if his life as we've talked about quite a lot if not in turmoil then on the verge of it so by all means Take a bit of time here to focus on yourself and those around you so that when the time comes to get back in the ring, you're not carrying those distractions with you. Um, Does he actually believe that this is a quasi-permanent break from boxing or is it just solely 
an attempt to sort of position himself for future fights and future contracts. I don't know. Might be a little bit of the, between the two somewhere. Mm. I think part of him thinks it, uh, but I think he just wants that break. But my guess is, I don't think we see him fight this year. But my guess is by year's end, he's making rumblings about returning and we very soon see something come together. I'll bet by March we're seeing him in the ring again or at least talking about. It's so hard to say nowadays because you're like, well, he might not be in the ring for a year, which is eh, kind of standard now. Right, but, that happens, yeah. But I doubt it's much. It's I doubt his absence from the ring. And I don't know him. I could be talking out of my ass. Uh, I doubt that it's much different from a standard title holders absence from the ring now so nine to ten months i'll bet we're at least expecting him to be in the ring soon but um let me rephrase that question let me send it back to you and and rephrase it in a way that works you know that's right in your wheelhouse what kind of odds would you place on us never seeing lopez in a boxing ring again And, and purely for the sake of argument if we assume that in fact we don't see him again if he's true to his word is he a hall of famer uh, that that second question is fascinating to dissect. Even, even if we agree it's a moot point, it, it's great for discussion. <laughs> um, let me let me answer the other question first. I think he's about minus five thousand to fight again, fifty to one. <laughs> Basically, wow. me okay. saying I'm like ninety eight percent confident he'll fight again. Um, I leave that two percent open because he's a different sort of guy. Uh, the the yeah. things he says his brain is not quite like everybody else's and, and there's the X factor, which you sort of hinted at of, I think his dad has made his life and his career weird and extra stressful and overwhelming. And so maybe there's a tiny piece of him that just wants to never fight again to spite his dad or something. Um, really, really don't think he's retired, but I am open to that slight possibility based on the Teofimo Lopez marches to the beat of his own drummer factor. Um, the question though, does he have a hall of fame resume, man? Um, my instinct is to say no, that that he comes up a little short. He's only had 20 pro fights, even though he's a two division lineal champ, which would typically make you a shoe in. He's never defended either lineal title successfully. Mm -hmm. Um, really the whole case in favor of him is he won two lineal titles by age 25 and he beat two great fighters to do so. Like, Honestly, Teofimo Lopez's two best wins are probably better than Terence Crawford's two best wins, just yeah. as an example. Yeah. Um, one of those wins is over a Hall of Famer in Vasily Lomachenko. So to an extent, Lopez's Hall of Fame fate, if he never fights again, would depend on how Josh Taylor bounces back. If Taylor becomes at least a borderline Hall of Famer, I think that helps Lopez's case a lot. If it turns out Lopez has one win over an all-time great, and one win over a guy in Taylor who gets remembered as like a flash in the pan, then that could very well keep him out of the Hall of Fame. It's a strange career um, made extra strange if he ends it at age 25 after 20 fights. Um, But, you know, at this point, it only contains three meaningful and impressive wins, Loma, Taylor, and Richard Comey. I think it comes up a little short based on that. Um, But, you know, when he does return, Not so much if, but when, when he returns, if he just makes one or two good defenses of the 140 pound title, I would think then he crosses over into probable Hall of Famer territory. Um, And by the way, just 
beginning to think about this topic, I got to say, before anyone makes the Salvador Sanchez comparison, because I know people are going to be inclined to make that just based on the early ending to the career factor and Salvador Sanchez got in. Sanchez had 46 fights. He beat three other Hall of Famers. He made nine title defenses. And then he had the sentimentality factor on top of that. Lopez, really all he would have in common with Sanchez is the the early ending to his career. His, his resume does not compare, at least, you know, not yet. And was Sanchez just 25 when he died? I think he was or younger. Something like... I think he was 23, maybe. Amazing. I'd have to look it up. What 23 or 24, uh, something like that, yeah. What a uh, a few other stories to fill out the news portion of the pod. Uh, we already mentioned that Edgar Belanger is hoping to be next in line for Canelo. There are some reports that Jamal Charlo might be beating him to it, um, with David Benavides' team saying that although they submitted an offer to Canelo, they didn't even receive a response. And Badu Jack ruling himself out, uh, with Canelo reportedly wanting a 180-pound weight limit to fight him, and the now cruiserweight unwilling to boil himself down that much. And um, we mentioned last week that Skill Challenge, the mysterious Saudi Arabian promotional entity, had signed Alexander Usyk. There are now reports that they will be announcing the signing of Deontay Wilder this week, which, if true, would suggest they are putting the pieces in place for that mammoth heavyweight blockbuster late in the year that we've mentioned. Plus, there are suggestions that Devin Haney may be next on their list. Um, talking of promoters, we talked last week about the online contretemps between Oscar De La Hoya and his fighter Ryan Garcia. That's now taken legal form as Golden Boy Promotions has asked a court to confirm that they retain full promotional rights over Garcia, following a Garcia claim that the company has violated the terms of their contract. And finally, Terence Crawford and Errol Spence kicked off the promotion for their July 29th clash with press conferences in New York and Los Angeles both of which were quite spiky. Uh, Eric, anything of note from those pressers and anything you'd like to comment on on the rest of the news? Well, the Canelo stuff is by far the most interesting to me among these. So uh, so I'm just going to breeze through the others first to get to that. Um, I am not a lawyer and I have not read the full Golden Boy suit. So I will just offer the very non-legal opinion that Ryan Garcia seems to be reacting to his def- first defeat by blaming a lot of people and firing a lot yeah. of people and trying to emancipate from a lot of people and... That is troubling. You know, maybe it'll work out for the best for him. Maybe he needs a fresh start with a new trainer, new promoter, etc., and that his best days are ahead of him. But usually it's a bad sign when this is how you react to losing a fight for the first time. Um, the Spence Crawford press conferences. I can not freaking wait for this fight. Um, <laughs> I score I score the press conferences 10-9 for Crawford because I found his outfits much more relatable. Uh, jeans and work boots, more my speed than some of the weird shit Errol was wearing. <laughs> um, the Saudi Arabia stuff. Yeah, this is where it's headed. Nothing we can do about it. Um, we all thought it wasn't possible to make boxing any dirtier, but here we are. It's getting ickier, and uh, we don't really have a choice. And that is going to be potentially the greatest heavyweight doubleheader of all time in December if it comes together. So I'll be watching. I am now part of the problem. Uh, okay, uh, finishing with Canelo. First off, I'm so glad Badu Jack is out of the running because that that actually, according to some reports, had the early pole position. And not that it isn't a somewhat compelling fight, but I, I just hate to see Canelo pursuing paper history, trying to snag yeah. an alphabet belt in another division, a bit like Leonard against Lalonde. Um, and that... 180 pound limit that's even worse that would it would make it watered down paper history so uh i'm I'm glad that's not where this is headed 
I hope it's not Berlanga. Um, I just don't think he's remotely earned a fight this big, even if he starches Jason Quigley in 12 seconds. Um, of all the opponents being mentioned, Berlanga is by far the easiest for Canelo. That's that's a mismatch. It's a quick destruction in my view because the skill gap is just gargantuan. Look, David Benavidez is still my first choice, but second choice, sign me up for Canelo versus Jamal Charlo. That's an outstanding fight. Uh, Canelo would be favored, but either man can win. I wish Charlo wouldn't be coming off so much inactivity, but it is what it is. I think it's marketable. You know, maybe not a million buy pay-per-view, but certainly at least as solid as Canelo plant. Um, and if we get Canelo Charlo, sounds like there's a decent chance that we get Benavidez Morel, which I absolutely love. Uh, so Canelo Charlo, Benavidez Morel, Better be have Bivol. They all possibly fall into place if Canelo goes this direction. Please keep the Saudis out of all that stuff and make yeah. those fights happen. And Raskin is a happy man. Well, you saying that that either man can win. If you're looking for a can man to go uh-huh. up against Canelo, <laughs> you know where I'm going. <laughs> I cannot abide that suggestion. <laughs> no, nor can I. And I'm. I'll just show myself out. We don't yes. even need to do the rest of the podcast, really. <laughs> I just, all right. Um, bef- before I disappear and in shame, uh, let's do the fight game, shall we? Yes. Um, you know, I-, I feel like we've been asking a wee bit too much of each other over the last few. We go back and forth. It's either too easy or it's too hard. And we've been pushing each other into fourth and fifth clues uh, over the last couple of weeks. This one might be a bit different. I think I think you might might do yeah, all right. See, yeah, there you go, creating pressure. Now, if I don't get in one or two, I'm an idiot. No, I have to put in my notes. No pressure. So there's no pressure. <laughs> well, you can say no pressure. That doesn't mean I will feel no pressure. Before you get to the first clue, though, I will note uh, this isn't the only time I'm playing the fight game this week. Um, okay. I, uh, Monday morning, I will be uh, recording. I'll be the guest on the unofficial scorecard podcast with Zach Fitzpatrick. Uh, it's an Australian boxing podcast, and he had he asked me, "Would I, he loves the fight game? Would I be up for doing a round of the fight game? Is it proprietary, or or can we do it?" And I said, "Yeah, sure, we we can play it." So I'm going to be playing twice this week. So even if I blow uh-huh. this one, I ha- I will have a chance to redeem myself, maybe. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, you won't blow this one. Okay. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, uh... Plenty of info in this first clue. Uh, This October 1991 contest in Atlantic City was ostensibly for a world title, although nobody bought the notion that it was actually for the world title. The nominal title holder retained his belt and his undefeated record by fifth round KO. Wow, that was a lot of information. I like I couldn't yeah. even jot it all down fast enough. Uh, uh, do you want to hear it again? Yeah, go through it one more time while I keep jotting down the various uh, factoids there. Okay. This October 1991 contest in Atlantic City was ostensibly for a world title, although nobody bought the notion that it was actually for the world title. The nominal title holder retained his belt and his undefeated record by fifth round KO. Whew. Okay. Um, so for some sort of belt that people didn't quite regard as highly as others, certainly was at least not any kind of a lineal title. Maybe someone else was recognized as the champ. And so this was just for an alphabet belt. So I'm trying to, so uh, I may be going down that bad path of like letting myself focus on one weight class, but my (laughs) mind does immediately go to heavyweights. A lot of them fought in Atlantic city in the early nineties. And so at that time, 
Evander Holyfield would have been the lineal champ, but that was probably getting splintered somewhat. And so was there like a random WBO heavyweight title defense going on in Atlantic City? The titleist was undefeated, remained so, won by fifth round knockout. And after I lodge a guess, not beforehand, but after, uh, please tell me if I'm way off base by thinking about heavyweights, but I'll, I'll, I'll lodge a guess first. Uh, so could, I don't think Riddick Bowe didn't claim some alphabet belt before getting to Holyfield. Was the, who else had one? Was it like Tommy Morrison? Did he have one yet? Or, um, I feel like I, I don't know. It's not, it's not coming to me who else, who had like the sort of, lesser heavyweight titles and uh so i'm just going to not lodge a guess and ask you to please tell me before the next clue if indeed it's a heavyweight i will do better than that you are very not off base at all with all of that you're with all of that ruminating you are that was a good rumination okay i'm i've i've danced around possibly one or both of the names somewhere in there okay all right Uh, let me get clue two now now i am feeling somewhat confident that i could get this quickly but yeah, Who knows? I think famous last words, maybe. Yeah, you will, Matt. <laughs> okay. uh, both would go on to lose to the man who became the true champion at the weight. One lost by controversial decision, and the other by knockout. Okay. You want to hear that one again, or you got it? Uh, yeah, go ahead and read it one more time, please. Both would go on to lose to the man who became the true champion at the weight. One would lose by controversial decision, the other by knockout. Okay. Um, uh, I think I got it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know for sure if this fight was October 91. I don't know for sure if it was in Atlantic City. But could this have been... Well, now, Before I lodge my guess, I, now I'm trying to think... Okay. I, th- I, I think that this must be the tremendous war between Michael Moore and Burt Cooper. Is that it? It is not. Oh, it is damn. excellent. Because <laughs> Cooper did lose by knockout to Holyfield. Uh, and and more, I guess more maybe never lost by contract. I like paused before guessing it to, to think about whether they fit quite perfectly. And then there's the question of which lineal champ, future lineal champ or whatever they lost to. There's a word in that, in that clue, which is both would go on to lose to the man who became the true champion at the weight. Right, right. So it's uh, that's so necessarily the champion of the weight in October 1991. Okay, now I maybe have a little more of an idea, but I'm not allowed to lodge another guess until you give me the next clue. So uh, go ahead. You'll get it after this. I think. <laughs> no the, pressure. The loser, the, the loser would compile a record of 48 and 3, but died in 2013 at the age of just 44. The winner is still alive. Hasn't fought since 2008. Winner last fought in 2008. So, all right. So now I'm doing some math here that if he was 44 in 2013, then in 91, he was real young. Uh, mm-hmm. He would have only been a 22 year old mm-hmm. when, when he lost this fight. To a guy who kept, so they were probably both kind of young fighters. Uh, mm-hmm. If they, at the time, if uh, the other one kept going until 2008, I was, as you were 
sort of clarifying the second clue after my guess, I was assuming that the guy who would go on to win the title was George Foreman. Um, so I'm trying, there were definitely some people who lost controversial decisions to him, namely uh, Alex Stewart, Axel Schulz, um, someone who ended up 48 and three and died young. So that's got that's probably Tommy Morrison. Oh, <laughs> is this is wait, but but mm-hmm. did did mm-hmm. Uh, hold on hold on just before I guess it now I'm like double checking back over the clue because I'm pretty sure I know what it is now. But uh, so Tommy Morrison did he lo- oh he lost by knockout to Lennox Lewis and Ray Mercer lost by controversial decision and yes I could have gotten this quickly because Ray Mercer is on the brain because you interviewed him and that's coming up and so the answer is Ray Mercer KO5 Tommy Morrison you are correct sir <laughs> yeah I was right in the ballpark all along and uh, yeah. I don't know if some on some un- oh, come back. I wonder if on some unconscious level I was thinking you wouldn't give me a Ray Mercer fight knowing that uh, that I just listened to you ah. interview Ray Mercer and that we're all about to listen to it again, you know, but but um, I don't know that that was actually in my thinking. But uh, OK, a three, uh, not a not a magif- magnificent triumph, but not a failure either. Uh, close to being a one like it was right. almost like you were you were there ish. And right. uh, I absolutely would have gotten it with clue four. The knockout that ended this fight is one of the most viral of all time, with the loser seemingly already unconscious long before the referee stepped in to pull the winner off of him. And number five, if the loser sounded like royalty, the winner was positively merciless. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, good good stuff there. And um, it per- provides you a perfect transition to go into the next segment of the podcast, so I shall not blather on. I'll uh, let you take it away. It does indeed. The note that I had was to say, there is a reason why Merciless Ray Mercer was on my (laughs) mind as I thought about a fight game fight, and that is because he is one of our two guests this week. I was able to speak with both him and with trainer and former 130-pound titleist Robert Garcia at the International Boxing Hall of Fame last week. Um, You'll notice that the audio is a little different um, from one interview to the next. I interviewed Robert with my phone while sitting in a room at Turning Stone Casino as we couldn't be at the Hall of Fame because of all the fires in Quebec. Uh, While I was able to fit Ray with a lapel mic, until it stopped working on the ground <laughs> of the boxing hall itself. Uh, Ray Mercer's coming up, but first, Robert Garcia. What do you look for if you have a boxer who says maybe that they're interested in you training them? Is there something that you look for, a level of a kind of fighter, a level of application, a certain personality? You want to, as a fighters, whatever style they have, I'll adapt to their style. I've had everything, you know, from you know, flashing, nice style, Nonito Brunner, to a brawler like Marcos Maidano or Brandon Rios, or a smart counterpuncher like Mikey. You know, I, I could adapt to any style, but one thing I will always uh, like in my gym for any fighter that comes to me is the personality. I need them to be down to earth. They, the first thing that they're gonna know is I'm not gonna give you a special time because you're special you're going to be part of everybody else you know you could be a world champion and and you're going to be training with my pro debut fighters you know gotcha you're not going to be anybody special so you're not going to get that special treatment you're not going to get that that uh you know my team my assistants my my whole team 
none of us are gonna like we say, you know, we're not gonna kiss your ass. You know, <laughs> right. You're here like everybody else. And the, the first thing that I'm gonna make sure whoever comes to me knows that in my camp you're not gonna be special. Right. Do you ever I wonder about this with, with you, with Freddie, with like Derek James increasingly, do you ever like try to think, shoot, I got like 20, 35 years now, I should probably put a lid on this because otherwise I'm not going to be able to give everybody enough time. Do you, do, how difficult is it to give everybody the time it's, that you want to give them? It's difficult, it's difficult, but, uh, but, but this is what I do all day if I have to. Mm. So, I don't, so I, don't, I, don't, I don't do this just for two hours a day. I could, I could get my, you know, my, my gym is my personal place. Uh, I, don't, I don't have X amount of hours to work and, 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 and nothing else. I start, I start at 10 in the morning with the first group. I could go from, from 10 to 12, 12 to 2 the second group, 2 to 4 the, uh, the third group. I could have 3, 4 gotcha. groups at a time. So whenever I have a, a full house, I do divide my fighters into groups depending on their weight classes. I see. You know, so for sparring and everything. So I, I divide them. Uh, you know, there's a lot of times where, where I don't have that many fighters in the camp, so I turn them on at the same time, mm -hmm. 10 in the morning to 12 to 1, and then and we're all done. Mm -hmm. But uh, but most of the time, you know, we have to divide our groups, you know, 10 to 12, 12 to 2, or 2 to 4. Okay. And, 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 and it makes it a lot easier for me. Uh, my assistants, we're all, you know, we, we give everybody time, you know, if, if, if you have a fight closer to uh, the date than anybody else, then obviously the attention goes a little bit more to the ones that are getting close to their fights mm -hmm. also. But at the end of the day, they all get the work, they all get uh, the sparring, they all get the, the conditioning uh, training with my conditioning coach, uh, Charles Tremley. He's great at what he does and, uh, and, and they're all in great shape. Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. And you can exclude fighters you're presently training if you wish. Your five favorite slash best guys you've trained over the years. Man, it's 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 not easy because uh, because I I I work with with everybody, man. It's it's not easy, but you know what? Uh, Brandon Rios is always gonna be one of my favorites because that kid became family, mm -hmm. you know. And and this is not count. I'm, I'm I leave, I always every time I, I get questions like this, leave out Mike. I leave out Mike, of course, because of he's course. my brother. So of obviously he would be number one, of but. Without counting Mikey because fa because his family Brandon Rios is is, is just family you know mm -hmm. it's up until now he's still he he became family Nonito <laughs> Donaire is, is is also one of those that every time I see him and every time you know he fights I'm 100% supporting him uh, Margarito became really close oh, to me too so you know. Uh, those uh, those three I could probably say are the closest ones, uh, the ones that that made became part of my family. But working with my Donna was unbelievable. Those 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 huge fights we had with him, those uh, the exposure he gave us was, was was one that makes makes me mention him among among the the, the top out of, out of all. And, and right now, you know, the the fifth ones I would probably say the two brothers, you know. Uh, Joshua Franco and, and, and Bam Rodriguez, who are both world champions at the moment, uh, you know, bringing them from the amateurs to, to the pros, those two right there are, are I count them as one, but sure. you know, those two right there, uh, I think uh, 
are, are, are a perfect example of, of anything is possible. If you work hard, you know, bringing them from the amateurs to where, to a point where nobody wanted to sign them, nobody was interested in them because of small weight classes, to now be, becoming world champions, I think, I think, I think that means a lot. And two extraordinarily talented fighters as well. Right. I mean, Bam, if it hadn't been for Dimitri Bivol, Bam would have been fighter of the year last right. year without exactly. any question. Sure. And it just came out of almost from nowhere. Exactly. You know, See, and, and that's, that's what I mean, you know. Uh, until then, I had already put them on, on, on PBC cards. They would give me the opportunities, but never really the uh, interest in signing him. Top rank, same thing. They put them on some other cards, but never showed me the interest of signing him. Uh, I try to push him out to Golden Book Promotions, never gave me an opportunity. And then I get this call, you know, from, from Matt Jumet, is, is your is your boy band crazy enough <laughs> to to jump two divisions to fight uh, Quadras? And I didn't I, I didn't I didn't have to Mm-hmm. Talk to Bam. I knew his answer, okay. so right away I say yes. Make it, make the fight happen. And they're like, "Are you sure? Don't you need to talk to him?" I'm like, "No, please make uh, the fight happen." And look, and the rest is history. And you're happy for him to be back at 118 now, right? Oh, oh excuse me, I him down, yeah. yeah. I don't, you know, after his last fight, he made weight so easy at 112 that his dad and myself, you know, we're the older men. We mm-hmm. kind of thought maybe we could still try 108. But that, that would be pushing it too sure, much. Because sure. he, you know, he was, he was, I would have loved for him to become champion at 108. Uh, that never happened. We got the jump to 115 to fight Quadras and uh, defended his title there two times. Then decided, now we decided to bring him down to one to 112, which I think is the right, the right decision. He's only 23, so he's still very young. I think little by little, I think he's, he's got the, the skills to, to be a multiple division champion, but slowly also. I don't want to rush it. I think 112 is, is perfect for him right now. How's his job? Doing okay? He's recovering. You know, he, uh, he's supposed to be out since his fight in April, they told us, five to six months. He can't do any type of sparring. So by October, I'd say we're going to start trying uh, and, and looking forward to having him fight sometime in December. Okay. Um, you mentioned a couple of other names there I'd like to go back to. Um, Margarito, who I think a lot of fans maybe don't have a really good sense of, you know, he has this kind of cartoon villain right. image. But people who know him say he's a really good dude to work with. He's a great with. person, man. Margarita, when he came to me, was right after that 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 hand wrap situation, okay. you know, and uh, and and that brought a lot of uh, attention to my training camps, you know, uh, coming from Margarito, who everybody called a cheater, and a lot of people disliked him for for what had happened uh, in his fight against Mosley when when mm-hmm. they found something, you know. But that was before, you know. When he came to me, I uh, I sat with him, and and we had a good conversation. And that was the first thing, you know, I told him, look, I don't, I'm not going to question mm-hmm. because a lot of fighters don't know what the trainer is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my own fighters, when, when I brought in Margarito, a lot of my own fighters told me, why are you bringing him in? He's right. a cheater. Right. And I told him, look. He's a fighter, so we have to give him that chance. Let's let's uh, let's let's give you know. Never, we never asked him. I want you to tell me if you knew about it. I never did because that was before. But a lot of my fighters told me there's no way 
a fighter is not going to know if there's something in your in your hands. So I did that to a couple of my fighters. You know, I told them, you know what, I'm gonna wrap your hands mm -hmm. during training, not not uh, not in a fight. Mm -hmm. And you know, the fighters they're talking to everybody. They they got their hands right there. They're right. talking. They're some, right. some of them are listening to music. Right. They're having conversations while I'm wrapping hands. So I I, I did something okay. to a few of fighters. Haven't trained, didn't spar, but haven't trained. Hit right. the bags, hit the mitts. After training, I cut their 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 gauze off, and when I'm when I'm taking off the the the, the front of the, the the knuckle pads, I don't look look at what you had. Uh -huh. The fuck is that? I'm like, what Margarito had? Wow. How the fuck did you put that in there? I'm like, because you were. I'm just to prove you that the fighter right doesn't always know. doesn't yeah. doesn't always know. Yeah. Was that the case? I cannot. I never had a conversation with Margarito about that either. So. Can it happen? Yes, it could because I did it to some of my fighters just to prove them wrong. But you know, that conversation never really, we never touched that conversation with Margarito. He was very friendly, loyal to me. He he became part of the family until now. We still have a really good relationship. He's uh, he's a great person. He uh, he would he would talk to all, all my younger fighters about the sport, the dedication. He was one of the most disciplined fighters mm -hmm. I've ever worked with, so it helped a lot of my younger fighters also see the dedication that he had. Even even after all the money he had already made, all the all the controversy, all the millions of dollars, the, everything, every day he came to the gym, he was dedicated. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that all my fighters seen and, and picked up from him. So until now, we still stay in, 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 okay. in touch. A couple other quick questions before I let you go. Um, AJ, uh, from your experience with him, he's now with, with Derek, looking at maybe a fight with Didion White or something. From a distance, he feels like a fighter whose confidence is gone. Um, what was your experience like working with him? What, what do you think about him going forward and what would you like to see him going forward? Well, I, I think, I think what, he, what he did already is what I what I asked him to do since the beginning and uh, and right right before I left uh, right before I left uh, uh, after the fight I told his his whole team you know I, I didn't I didn't I didn't tell Anthony but I told his whole team management team everybody around him I told him look he needs to get out of the UK to do mm. training camps mm. so here he he did do. Mm. One thing that I recommended was come to the States. You know, obviously, I would have loved that to be in my camp, mm -hmm. you know, continue doing, doing, picking the right fights. You know, he decided uh, to come to, uh, to Derrick James, which is a great choice also. Derrick James has fighters, you know, that, that are going to push Anthony, that are going to compete against Anthony also. Uh, Anthony's gonna see, you know, guys like Spence, like Charlo, work out and stuff. like, I can't be less than them. I have to right. be as good as them. Right. So that's one thing I always ask for them, you know, get out of, you know, your comfort zone. And in England, he's on his own. He's got his own, you know, he trains in, in his gym by himself. There's nobody else training around him. So he, the, the whole team, just like I was, were there for him. If, if it was an hour late, if it was two hours late, if it was, you know, that's all we were doing. So 
we were okay with it. Coming to, to the United States under Derek James, Derek James has a schedule. Mm -hmm. He has to train Charlo. Mm -hmm. He has to train Spence. Mm -hmm. Now he's got to train Ryan Garcia also. Right. And he also has to train Anthony. So so I'm pretty sure with, with Derek James, he had a time where he had to show up to the gym. You know, being by himself in, 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 in England, he's the only one. So yeah. everybody's there for him at whatever right. time he chooses. Right. That's a big difference now. You know, now you're in a gym where where if you don't if you don't come early, then you might not get the attention because because right. Charles the one getting the attention now. Right. So that was the, the 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 main thing that he needed to do, and he did, which I'm happy. And and he and he chose the best trainer right now. You know, he chose. Uh, you know, he he got his award yesterday, trainer of the year. You know, Derek James is great. You know, he's um, he's a great person in the sport because he knows. He knows how to create a game plan. He he also works with with different styles. He doesn't train everybody the same. So I think I did, did he do the right thing? Yes. Came to the states, chose a great trainer. I would have wished it was with me. Yes, of course. In my camp, of course. Uh, I wouldn't be able to travel anymore because I'm just too busy with so many fights. But uh, but uh, did he do the right thing? Yes. Uh, I hope to see a lot of improvement in the, in the future fights, and, and, and I think it's going to happen picking the right fights. Uh, with me, you know, my first fight with them against Usyk, pound for pound, probably the best fight in the world, so it wasn't going to be easy. I still think he did better than the first time. I still think he, he did what we were asking him to do. Could he have done a little bit more? Yes. but. It's also, you're also against one of the best fighters in the world, so it's, it wasn't going to be easy. But did I see improvement 100%? Did he follow instructions? Yes, he did. Uh, was there moments where I thought, I thought uh, he could have done better? Of course. But that's just the way boxing is. When the bell rings, it's the fighter, you know, taking those punches, and, 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 and we're in the corner. We're not the ones fighting for him. Exactly. Final question. Um, Smitty asked you about this up on stage. We already met, mentioned Derek James and Errol Spence. Everyone's excited that that fight is finally. Mm -hmm. yeah, it feels like a legitimately 50-50 fight between two top African fighters. Um, you sort of just about mentioned who you think maybe you might favor. Do you want to talk about that? You a know what? Bit? It, like, I, like I said earlier, it's 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 very difficult to pick a winner, and 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 I don't know why. Honestly, I really don't know why I lean towards Crawford. But if you ask me why, I don't have an answer. That's why, that's, it's just such a close fight. It's just such a close fight where sometimes I think, oh, I think Crawford's got a little more about that dog, you know. But then I've also seen Spence fights and he also has it. Yeah. So, so it, it, it's a 50-50 fight. Honestly, I, I, I won't be surprised if whoever wins, you know, it's a fight that, that, uh, that needs, that needed to happen. I'm glad it's happening. And hopefully, hopefully we get to see the rematch right away. Because I think if they wait a couple of years, it might be too late. But I think from what I understand, there's, yeah, it's on the contract where, where they, they choose to do it right away if they want. So, so I think we will see two fights, which is great for boxing. I think this year, this year for boxing has been great, even though we haven't had a super heavyweight big fight. Uh, it's been without heavyweight yeah. fights, 
but it's still been yeah, probably yeah. one of the best years in, 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 in a while. Yeah, not just getting the matchups, the quality of the fights has been fantastic. Right. They've, they've been fantastic. Fight of the year every month. <laughs> yes, I think it's, 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 it's a great year, but this fight is one that can't wait to see. Good stuff there. Um, it strikes me listening to that, that uh, Robert is, is very much a real-life David Luckner. Uh, that was uh, Carrie Elwes's character on Seinfeld uh, for one or two episodes. And his thing was he would ask and answer all his own questions. Yeah. Do I have regrets? <laughs> I do. Can I tell you what those regrets are? I cannot. Robert does a lot of that. Um, the other thing, I, I had forgotten he worked with Margarito. Um, that was really fascinating about him testing out whether a fighter notices their hand wraps are loaded. I suppose there could be some spin in the way he's recounting that, but but I imagine he's certainly not like making it up out of whole cloth. That he he really did do that to some of his fighters to see if they noticed. Uh, really interesting note there from from Robert Garcia, who um by the way does does anyone call him Grandpa anymore? You know that that was his no, nickname as a fighter. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was Robert Grandpa Garcia. Now he actually has a full head of gray hair, and I don't think anyone calls him Grandpa anymore. Yeah. That that's called irony right there, Kieran. Yeah, indeed. The other thing that struck me with that Margarito thing was there was no the issue for him was whether Margarito knew. Like he didn't seem to have any. There are still some people who will defend Margarito and say that there's no evidence that there actually was any stacking of the hand wraps right. and, and all of that. But clearly, he at the time he and all the fighters that he was talking to all took it for granted that that in fact did happen, and it was yeah. just the issue of how much Margarito actually knew about it. Yeah. All right. Now on to the merciless one himself, the pleasingly hale and hearty retired heavyweight contender and 1988 Olympic gold medalist, Ray Mercer. All right, merciless. How you doing? Ray Mercer, how are you? All right, you? doing great, doing great. So uh, how does it feel, you know, to, to come here to the Hall of Fame, to be a part of history and realize that you've been such a big part of this history? Ah, uh, man, the, you know, just to be a part of it, man, it's just like a dream come true. You know, um, when I first started boxing, I never thought I'd be here. You know, I mean, I'm not getting inducted, but just to be around all the people that's that's uh, just getting inducted and, and being around the whole thing, it's just it's amazing, man. The people out there that's never been to uh, the International Boxing Hall of Fame should really, really try to get here one year. Yeah. I mean, it's the best. You know, like you could still fight. You're not like you're in uh, shape, right? I am, but I'm not in fighting shape. <laughs> right. I'm not in fighting shape at all. Right. You... Nobody had an easy time fighting Ray Mercer. No, I, cause I was, I, I, my thing was just to come at you and put the pressure on you because I wasn't, uh, I, I didn't consider myself an excellent boxer. So I just put the pressure on you. That was my whole thing to put the pressure on you. And, and I always went into the fights knowing that I'm going to get hit, going to mm -hmm. get clocked. And that was half of when the fight. I, if I was to train anybody right now, I would tell them, I'd say, hey, you cannot go in a fight not expecting to get hit. Half the fight is won when you know you're going to get hit. Just, you know, you know you're going to get clocked. So. Right. That was it. One of the great, like, sort of sliding doors moments in recent boxing history was your fight with Lennox. He got the decision, went on to to have that long reign. I assume you feel you won that fight. Uh, I did win that fight. Um, I told Lennox Lewis, and he told me he know he knows that I won the fight. But I mean, what are you going to do? Mm. You know, um, I've been ripped off a couple of times. I'm pretty sure he's been ripped off, but. It is what it is. It happened. And the people, the thing that gets me past everything is the people know who won. Everybody comes right. up to me. They be like, yo, hey, you won that fight. There's yeah. no fight. I'm, yeah. I'm good. I feel like I won. And he admitted it too. I told him to send me half the check. And every time I see him, I say, I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> he starts laughing. 
It's just funny, but he said it too. So. So putting you on the spot a little bit, could you think, I mean, of all the fights have been on Yeatman and with so many great fighters, do you have like a top five of like your favorite fights or your best opponents or well, your toughest fights? my most exciting fight was uh, with Tommy Morrison, evidently, yeah. you know, that was a good knockout right there. And, um, and I was fighting the year, and I think it was 96, 90-something, 90 fighting Burt Cooper. And he was oh, my he was sparring. another one. Was he was my sparring partner for three years before we fought. So that's what okay. made that. That's why after that fight, I spent two days in the hospital because I was dehydrated. Okay. And I had a fever and everything. So I went to my wife took me to the doctor and they kept me in there. Just kept me on fluids because uh, we were throwing punches then. That was fight of the year. That, was that fight. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm just glad I'm one. We was both uh, in the in the emergency room in Atlantic City getting stitched up together. Where he was on this gurney and I was on this one over here, man. We. I'm just glad I won that fight. And my jaw was like this. I busted a blood vessel and like that, all the way from the second round, man. And that was a, that was a hard fight. That was a hard fight. So that's two. You got a uh, uh, MMA fight. Uh, I, did a, I did an MMA fight. I knocked Tim Sylvia out in nine seconds. Oh, right. Now, that was, that, was, that was one of my favorites right there. And uh, who else? Who else? Oh, well, I fought Holyfield. Mm -hmm. And I actually thought I won that fight too. I thought I was, I was winning, you know, at the seventh round when he had, um, he had clocked me and I took a knee. And then I started, got up and started moving backwards and gave him the uh, momentum. And that was it. Uh, he won the last three rounds. So. He's just about more. Uh, another, another. Oh, I fought. I don't know the guy's name. What's the guy's name over in Sweden? Yeah, Brian Scott. No, yeah, Brian Scott. I was almost fifty years old. Oh, that's right. And I went over there and I, I beat their champion and I outjabbed him and everything. Man, that was one of our favorites right there too. That was a good fight. Talking about that Tommy Morrison fight. That's a fight will forever live on because of the knockout. Yeah, which may have been knockout. Obviously, you're doing what you have to do. Yeah. Do you, do you watch it back and then you say, oh, maybe the ref could have stepped in a punch or two or Oh, I know he could have stepped in, man. I said, not count a 17 state punches, and, and the referee was nowhere in sight. <laughs> but, you know, being in the Army and being the fighter that we are, we was always taught not to stop nothing. Yeah, got to keep, keep going. Keep right? on going until the referee pulls you off. Right. That's what we was taught. Right. You know, and that's what I did, man. I just did what I had to do. And you mentioning, you know, both you and Burt Cooper were in after that fight and it doesn't matter how many fighters I interview or, or how long I, I watch the sport your guy's ability to find some kind of mental strength it's not even just the physical strength yeah yeah what are you drawn to force yourself to keep going when any normal mortal would be like I'm not doing this anymore I'm, I'm laying down in this corner uh, what, uh, are you, what are you drawn man what keeps you Drives you on in those kind of fights. Oh man, just just the fact that you just wanting to win, man, and then all you did all the training, all the sacrifices that you made for that fight, mm. you know. So you, you you can't just give up, man. I I never been the type to, you know, just just give up and say the hell with it. You got to you got to knock me out, which mm. I but I've never been knocked out, but that's what you have to do. Mm. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Stand, <laughs> right there. Does that carry on into the rest of your life? Do you, are you able to life. bring that kind of? Yeah. I'm, Boxing saves lives, man. I, I mean, you know, the training is not only it's not only boxing, but it's it's the ability to, to, to live in life, to, to be a part of life and to be involved in everything and to and to set your mind where you can do anything that you need to do. 
you know, just like in boxing. So it's a, I had a trainer, Hank Johnson, he, he taught me about life too. So it wasn't, it wasn't only boxing, it was about life. You are paying attention to the sport still? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah I so love. I've got to ask you about the heavyweight situation. And yeah. I mean, yeah. what are you what are you thinking about our our club guys? First of all, do you do you think that Tyson Fury will fight Alexander Usyk? And if that happens, how do you see that kind of fight going? I I, I like I like uh, um, Tyson Fury, man. I think that guy is a great guy, man. I think he's a great human being. He just he gives to the homeless. You know, he's a gypsy. He he he's he's a great guy, man, and I think he's gonna be on top for a minute. I mean, he can box. He's got power, uh, man. I love the guy. I love Tyson Fury. If you fight a guy like that, I mean, he's huge. He moves the way he does. Nah, yes. You just you just gotta box him and hope to catch him, man. That dude is tough. He's tough. I like him, Tyson Fury. But um, I don't I don't think anybody's gonna beat him. No. I don't think so. That he's because he's just got that combination. Yeah, he, it's the right right time in his life where he's at the, the, the right, the peak of his his life for us boxing. He's got the dog in him too. Yeah, I love that guy, man. Yeah. That guy, he could take punches. He's tough. He just he, when he got up, he got up like when he got up when oh, I could believe it. Yeah, he's a tough dude. He's a tough dude. Yeah, and he's good. Uh, any other uh, heavyweights uh, that, you, that you like at the moment? Uh, Tyson right now. This this Tyson Fury right mm. now. You know, I I don't uh, too much care for uh, Dante Wilder because um, you know he, he does what all the trainers always taught out the old fighters is not to go and look out look for a knockout and that's exactly what he does. So you know, he goes in and he can't box. He just goes in and look for the knockout and then if you can't box the guy and what are you gonna do? You can't knock him out either. You're in trouble. Yeah. Do you get to go to a lot of fights now? Do we go to a lot of fights? Yeah. Yeah, I try to. I go do a lot of amateur fights and talk to the kids and all that oh, stuff. Okay. And then we do we do pro fights too. And uh, you know they're exciting, man. Great stuff again there, uh, boy. Uh, hearing him give his thoughts on Deontay Wilder, it occurs to me I would have loved to see Deontay's punch against Prime Ray Mercer's chin and find out which of those prevails. Um, I do have one question for you, Karen, off that interview. Do you believe him? that Lennox told Ray he thinks one, Ray won their fight, or, or is Ray maybe exaggerating a bit? I believe he believes that Lennox told him. <laughs> okay. So he may have misheard or misunderstood or misinterpreted. I mean, or Lennox may have just told him enough to make him feel good. Or, like, if we know what fighters are like. I mean, when, have, when does a fighter ever concede that, that he or she lost a fight, even in their dotage? Exactly. Um, it, it can happen. And, you know, supposedly it didn't, I mean, Tom, in this, this, I guess the comparison is that Tommy has, Hearns has said that Ray Leonard said that Tommy should have won their rematch, but I have a hard time believing that Ray Leonard said that too. So Well, that one, I, that one I do believe because I think I have actually seen Ray Leonard in interviews admit that he, that, that he didn't deserve that one. The one, the one that, that this reminds me of more is Ray and Hagler, um, that, that. Leonard yeah. says, uh, Marvin said to me right after the fight, you won, you're the champion. And Marvin said, says, no, what I might have said to him was something like, uh, sort of parentheses, even though I beat you uh, in Marvin's mind, you're still a champion to me, Ray, something uh-huh. like that. And so it's lost in interpretation. So maybe maybe similar here that Ray was like uh, that Lennox said to Ray Mercer, you're a real champ or something like that. And, and Ray Mercer interpreted it as him conceding defeat. 
Or Lennox yeah. was really stoned. Uh, <laughs> Always possible. Impossible at all. Yes. And was just in that kind of, you know, well, Ray, hey, maybe you did win, man. What is real? <laughs> Right? Who knows? So it's pass- it's possible. But yeah, knowing Lennox a little, he's a pretty chill guy, but he's another one. I just don't see him ever acknowledging that he lost the fight, the particularly one that he was given. I don't think he, he'd acknowledge that he actually lost to Oliver McCall or Hasim Rockman, even when they knocked him out. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. But I do believe that Ray believes that. Okay. And I do believe that Ray is waiting on that half a check. Uh, yes, that, that I believe as well, and he's going to probably have to keep waiting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We finished the show, Kieran, with your next top five challenge assignment. Uh, Spence Crawford is just six weeks away. It's time to start focusing a lot of what we do each week around that fight. So fairly straightforward top five list here. We've done lists like this in the past. I want you to count down the top five performances by either Errol Spence nice. Or Terence Crawford. As always, no rules about how many from each have to be included. It could be three from one, two from the other. Could be four and one. Could even be all five from one fighter, although that seems unlikely. But uh, let's begin the build to Crawford Spence, or Spence Crawford if you prefer, with the top five performances by either of these two undefeated welterweight stars. Nice. And I go into it with no like preconceptions of who would have the most there, actually. It could be right. quite interesting because you could make it a case that Crawford is the favorite and maybe the better boxer, but that Spence has the better big ticket items on his resume. So yep. that'll, be, that'll be fun to, to, to sit down and do. Yeah, good one. Like that one. All right, cool. All right. That will do it for this week's edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Please be sure to join us next week. We will have a recap of all the coming weekend's action. And as a reminder, don't forget to check out the latest installment of Fight Town, this time featuring Houston on Showtime digital platforms. Thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.